Indian matchmaking is more than just a show to give you a bit of a chuckle or a new meme to share with your cousins back home. It is a show to get you angry, a show that albeit unintentionally forces you to face the most uncomfortable parts of our culture and shared experiences as South Asians. Netflix's new light-hearted reality show about Indians looking for love is not merely the memeable comedy that it appears to be on the surface. It holds a mirror to the ugliest parts of South Asian culture. It's a warm summer's night and I'm in a family friend's flat in East London, dancing until my feet are sore. There is just over a week left until the wedding begins. The other young girls and I on the groom's side are running around the small living room trying to figure out who on earth is going to carry the coloured kara filled with the rose petals. I've just been dancing to Lag Karaga and I flopped down on the sofa trying to catch my breath as the heat from my flushed face radiates into the air-conditioned room. The older women watch us and they smile, thinking about their younger days when they too could get up and dance just as much as we did. In the hushed, quick Urdu, they whisper about how young and beautiful we are, how full of life we seem, how the time to find husbands is drawing near for us too. My heart drops. I know that many families start looking for matches for their daughters as soon as they turn 18, but I have no desire to get married yet. I want to finish university, I want to get my degree, I want to work for the diplomatic service, I want to travel to Japan, I want to travel to Iceland, I want to travel to Italy and Brazil. My grandmother reassures me that I can do all that after marriage, sitting comfortably, but that sits uncomfortably with me. I turn back and keep dancing. Weddings are always a fun time for many South Asians. It's a time for dancing and laughing, for dressing up and taking photos, for making memories and reminiscing on old ones. It's no surprise then that weddings are a multi-million dollar pound rupee industry. And this estimates that South Asian weddings often have a minimum starting budget of 30,000 pounds, almost 15 times the starting budget for Western weddings. Weddings are considered incredibly important, and thus there is an incredible amount of pressure on the families to achieve the best ceremony and most suitable match. This is the premise for Netflix's new viral show, Indian Matchmaking. The show follows Seema Tiparia, a professional matchmaker, charging a fee for the job that our elder relatives and village aunties do for free. The eight episodes follow Seema trying to find partners for a host of single people, including 34-year-old Texan lawyer Aparna, 29-year-old school counsellor Vyasar, and a Delhi-based businesswoman, Antika, being just some of the participants. Seema runs rampant across America and India and collects biodatas reminiscent of CVs in hand, searching for the perfect partner for all her clients. At first, I was honestly quite excited about this show. Seeing your culture on a screen for the world feels exciting, you feel represented. It's like some inside joke between you and a bunch of other people around the planet and it feels satisfying, finally, yes, I can relate. I chose to watch it with two of my closest family friends, both also Indian, ready for some sort of South Asian love island that I could live 
and live tweet bout. However, while there were occasional comedic moments and sweet gestures, I emerged from the other side of the long journey through the show with a sense of newfound sadness and a new perspective on South Asian culture, particularly towards matrimony. One of the major things that I took issue with was the show's portrayal of strong female types as the last pick in the marriage market and as women who struggle to find a partner. Two men in particular stand out in this case, the aforementioned Aparna and Antika. Aparna is the first single that is introduced in the show who we follow through a vast majority of episodes. She is a legal counsel from Houston who is very clear about what she likes and what she dislikes. The producers work to give this a comedic turn. She grills one of her dates after he asks her how she can spend a 10 day relaxing trip as to why she needs the 10 day relaxing trip when she can do it in three days. At first, I did find myself laughing along. I even fell for the trap that the show was laying. Why couldn't Aparna be just a little bit more open to the process? Surely it's wrong to have such rigid values? I'm a strong feminist with a set of values that I stick to myself. It worried me that here I found myself criticizing something I usually celebrate, a strong female lead. It's no doubt that the angle the show took stems from existing South Asian views on what a girl should or should not be. In traditional South Asian culture, a girl will often seek to satisfy the wishes of her elders and of her husband, regardless of what she thinks or believes. The words flexibility, adjust, and compromise frequently appear on the show, as all the women Seema deals with are expected to adjust to what Seema believes is best, and if it doesn't work out for them, they need to be more open. This patriarchal grip on the courses of our lives is an occurrence that almost every single Desi girl has her own story about. For me, For me, this most vividly occurred when my friend was talking to me about making her college decisions for her top university choice. Her parents were less keen when she was looking at Durham, Exeter and Cambridge. They said that it was too far from home and she couldn't go that far alone. So she chose a university choice in London, closer to where her parents lived, so she could come home every weekend. This could be chalked up to her mom and dad having separation anxiety or missing her when she flew too far away from home. However, there was very little pressure towards her brother who settled in the University of Manchester, four hours away from home. The roots of the constant need for women to obey and conform lie in the traditional stereotypes and celebrating the birth of sons who can carry the family name forward. Aparna's mother, Jyotika, takes a heartwarming view towards her two daughters when she says that her daughters come to those who had good karma in their previous life. However, her attitude is not shared by many others. Unwanted, a research project into femicide in India reveals some harrowing statistics about the treatment of South Asian girls. Their figures showed that roughly 26 second-born girls were missing from every 100 boys from educated mothers in 2001 and that every 50 seconds, a parent in India kills their daughter.
Many families undertake such actions as they cannot afford a second dowry for another girl, or are endangered or angered by the failure of their daughters to live up to the conventional image of seen but not heard obedient women. These occurrences do not stop when girls grow older and get married. The pressures put on women by their in-laws and husbands lead to a significant proportion of violence against women. A study by the United Nations in 1999 found that an estimated 50% of women in Pakistan had been physically abused by their husbands, while approximately 90% had been emotionally abused. In India, the crime rate and the Crime National Record Bureau found that a 2012 study revealed that every crime committed against a woman happens every three minutes, and another report found that 70% of women have faced some sort of abuse within their marriage. Violence takes place in the form of various methods, such as honour killings, beatings, acid attacks, with the latter of the three being at an all-time high in South Asian households. Reasons for such horrendous acts include revenge for the refusal of marriage or sexual advances, demands for dowry, and jealousy. A 2005 study into acid attack victims in Bangladesh found that the leading cause for such violence against Bangladeshi women at a stomach turning 55% of cases was the refusal of a marriage proposal. Here, the complexity of feminism in South Asia emerges. It should be noted that violence and abuse are in no ways the story of every single Desi woman and there is a strong growing feminist movement in South Asian nations and amidst the diaspora against the world. Women like Aparna and Antika in India's matchmaking who reject Seema and her colleagues' coercions that she must bend to conform to the stereotypical image of what a wife should be, highlight just some of the incredibly strong women challenging the status quo of what our communities accept and preach. However, this is not a luxury that all can afford. The women in Indian matchmaking have no shortage of stories to tell. Jyotika raising her two daughters as a single mother, Nadia facing prejudice against her Guyanese background, Antika being described as unphotogenic because she is not as fair-skinned as the others, but their experiences are primarily tales from the middle to upper class. Feminism is, unfortunately, a luxury that mainly those living in urban comfort can afford. While there are certainly trailblazers in poorer communities, the aforementioned issues of abuse and femicide and violence primarily occur within the lower classes. These women are often the ones left behind. These are the women that are often forgotten about when our community says, well, women have the vote, women can drive, women can decide who they want to marry, what else is there to be done? While we laugh at the controlling parents and grumpy husbands in the show, it is uncomfortable to think that while all of this is mostly light-hearted joking for these individuals, it is not the reality for those less fortunate who are abused, ostracized, and even killed by such mothers, fathers, and husbands, all in the name of marriage. Whether Indian matchmaking intended to highlight such issues or not, the show holds a mirror to South Asian society and exposes the misogyny, colorism, and privilege that plagues our community. The reason I chose to write an article and host this podcast about Indian matchmaking was because I make it no secret of the fact that I'm very proudly Indian and a member of the South Asian community. 
Still, for all the pride I take in my culture and history as a self-identifying intersexual male feminist, I would be a hypocrite if I didn't call out all the flaws of it. It's an uncomfortable truth to reckon, and but with what something that we must face nevertheless. So I make a conscious effort to stop my mom from fretting over getting a tan because fair does not equal lovely. I tell my grandmother not to scoff at the women marching for their rights on TV because not everyone lives in comfort as we do. I remind myself to educate myself on the wider plight of those fighting for feminism who do not have the privilege of living in a nation that affords me the freedom of speech and expression. The journey that Indian matchmaking sent me down into further studying the lives of women and girls in South Asia left me with a newfound perspective on my homeland and a sense of awe and respect for the women I call my sisters. If you want to watch the show at a surface level of matchmaking singles, hopefuls from various Indian communities to potential future spouses through science that our elders have perfected over the centuries, then you can do so. I, however, recommend to any South Asians or even non-South Asians who watch the show to watch it with a very critical eye. To challenge their perceptions about what is an acceptable and normalized convention within their community and within their elders. Indian matchmaking is more than a show just to give you a bit of a chuckle or a new meme to share with your cousins back home. It is a show to get you angry, a show that, albeit unintentionally, forces you to face the most uncomfortable parts of our culture and shared experiences as South Asians.